the last couple of weeks, there's two movie trailers that have come out that have got me really excited to see these new movies. One's for the uh, Matrix, it's like coming back again, and then the other is for the latest adventures of Spider-Man. Can't wait to see that movie. And you know, that's exactly what trailers are supposed to do. When you watch a trailer, you should go, oh, I'm excited to see that. A, a trailer, really, it gives you just a little bit of a taste of what's to come in the actual movie itself. They'll show you maybe the car chase or an action scene, maybe a romantic moment or a very funny moment. And you go, oh, yeah, that's something I need to see. Now, I bring all that up because today we're wrapping up our series called Surprise the World. And really, a movie trailer is a great metaphor for what we've been talking about throughout this entire series. That really, if you think about it, heaven, eternal life, the kingdom of God, the eternal reign of God forever, that's the feature film. And then our lives should be that, that taste, that trailer of what is to come. People should be able to look at us and go, ooh, that's something that I want right there. Now, that's not often how people act as Christians. That's not often how the church acts, that people go, oh, that's something that we should be a part of. There was a famous theologian, his name was uh, Leslie Newbigin. And Leslie was a career missionary. For 40 years, he had spent his time in India. So he had left Britain to go to India. He spent his entire life there. He hadn't come back until the very end of his life. And when he came back, Leslie was so surprised by just how corrupted the church had become, how worldly the church had become, and how off track they were from their mission. Here's what Leslie Newbigin, he, he writes this. He says, the church exists for the sake of those who are what? Who are, what's it say? Who are not members. That, what, why does the church exist? For people who are not members. He says, as a sign, foretaste, and instrument of God's redeeming grace for the whole life of society. The life in the church is not about us. He says here that we are to be a sign, a sign that's pointing people to Jesus. We are to be a, a foretaste, like that movie trailer that people go, oh, wow, I need to see that. I need to be a part of something like that. And he says that you and I, we are to be the instrument the instrument then that actually brings people into a relationship with Jesus. And so that's what we've been talking about here over these past couple weeks. And actually, this isn't something we've just been talking about the last couple weeks. For 11 years now, this is what I've been preaching over and over and over again. I keep saying, look, we are all full-time what? We're all full-time ministers of the gospel, right? We're all full-time ministers of the gospel. It doesn't matter who pays your paycheck. Whoever pays your paycheck, that's just how you pay your bills. How you make your life is as a full-time minister of the gospel. That's who you are. That's what you are to be doing. We are to be the hands, the feet, the mouth, the heart of Jesus to a lost and hurting world. The Apostle Paul says this in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 to 12. Christ has chosen some to be what? Some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be shepherds, some to be teachers. I'm going to stop right there for a second. That's what's called apest, A-P-E-S-T. You see it there? Apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers. Now, commonly in the church, we call these people pastors. God has called and appointed some to be pastors, and we each have a different gift. Some are apostles, some are prophets, some are evangelists, some are shepherds, some are teachers. Guess which one I am? 
Evangelist is one. What's the other one? Teacher, right. Apostles, they're the ones that go out and they start new things. Prophets are the ones that they sort of speak into what's going on in the life of the, the church. Evangelists, obviously, are the ones that are sent out to travel to share the good news with others. The shepherds are the ones that care for the people. And then the teachers are the ones that, that teach. So it's called apest. So again, Paul says here, Christ has chosen some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some shepherds, and some teachers. In other words, he's called some to be pastors of God's church. And listen to this, then he says, their responsibility is to do what? Their responsibility as pastors is to equip God's people for the work of ministry and for the building up of the body of Christ, which is the church. So what's the pastor's job? Pastor's job is to equip. The people's job is to, to do the work. The pastors are the administers. The people are the ministers. And so that's what we need to do. We are the church, all of us together, and we are called to be sent out into the world to help everybody, every single man, woman, boy, and girl come into a relationship with him. Now, so we've been talking about in this series, not everybody has the spiritual gift of evangelism, but we're all called to be evangelistic believers. And so this final thing in this whole acrostic we've been looking at throughout the series of bells is that we need to be sent. Let's actually review the acrostic. They're going to put it on the screen for you right now. B stands for what? You remember? B stands for bless. And we're going to bless how many people every single week? Three, right. We're going to bless somebody from here at Exponential. We're going to bless somebody that isn't yet a follower of Jesus. And we're going to bless just, what have I been calling it? A wild card, right? Dealer's choice. You get to choose whatever you want. Bless three people. You need to make this a habit. This isn't something we're just doing throughout the series. This is something every single week Throughout the rest of your life, you need to bless at least three people every single week. What do we call that here at Exponential? What do we call it? Yeah, you matter. You got to show people you matter to God. You matter to me as well. The letter E then stands for eat. And what are we going to do with eating? We're going to eat with how many people per week that's not our family member? Three, right? See, I'm keeping the number simple for you. Three. Three. One person at least that is not yet a follower of Jesus. Now, you can do that over three different meals. You can do it all at one meal, but this needs to become a habit that every week you're blessing three people. Every week you're eating with three people, and you're making sure that at least one of those people is not yet a follower of Jesus. Last week then, we looked at listen and learn. And we said, look, if we're really going to be effective for Jesus and for his kingdom, we've got to be listening for the voice of the Spirit. What is the Spirit saying to me? Who is it that I'm supposed to be blessing? Who is it that I'm supposed to be eating with? And the other thing the Spirit's going to do is going to reveal to you, what are the things in you? What is the sin within you that's keeping you from being a good witness to other people? And then we talked about learning. That every single week you should take at least a 20-minute period, apart from your normal devotional time, a 20-minute period where you're just sitting and reading the Gospels. You're just reading about Jesus. You're just becoming more and more like him because as you read about him you're becoming more and more like him and as you become more and more like him people are going to go ah there's something different about you you're being that movie trailer you're being that taste of what is yet to come and then this final thing then today is this word sent that you and i are called to be sent out into the world again maybe you don't have the spiritual gift of evangelism but you're called to be an evangelistic believer 
to go to the places where you live, work, and play, and to be able to share your faith, not just verbally, but also through the demonstration of your life, what it means to be in relationship with Jesus. And people should see that and be so surprised by that that they go, oh man, I want to be a part of what you're a part of. You know, after Jesus' resurrection, he spent 40 days here on the earth and he was showing people that, hey, I truly am alive again. And then right before he ascended back to heaven, he pulled his followers together for one final bit of instruction. We call this the Great Commission. And through the years, as I shared the Great Commission with you, I've said this to you. It's not just Jesus' mission. It's a what? It's a co-mission. It's not just his mission. It's a co-mission. It's our mission together, a co-mission. It's something we need to do together. Matthew 28, 18 to 20, here's what Jesus says. All authority in heaven and on earth have been given to me. Therefore, do what? Therefore, go... And do what? Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you to the very end of the age. Now, I've unpacked this verse for you plenty of times in the past, but I want to concentrate on one key word here today, and that is the word go. You and I are called to go. It isn't about people coming to us and that we make disciples. No, we are called to Go and make disciples. Again, wherever you live, wherever you work, wherever you play, and to the utmost ends of the world, we are to go and make disciples. And you know, discipleship is is two parts. A lot of people think of discipleship as just, well, you're learning about Jesus, you know, to to grow in a relationship that you already have with them. But really, discipleship, there's a pre-discipleship thing. We call that evangelism that we need to help people every single day take a next step towards God. And for some people, that's a next step because they haven't even started a relationship with God yet. But eventually they get to that place and they make that decision. And then after that, then discipleship is that they're growing in their relationship with Jesus. You and I are called to go. Now, in the uh, Latin, this whole verse, this whole commission here is missio. Missio is where we get our English word mission from. It's also where we get our English word missile from. So what is a missile doing? It's being sent out. It's being expelled. It's it's going. It's not staying where it's at for it to fulfill its mission. It can't just stay loaded in the chamber there. It has to actually go. And you and I are the exact same way. We are being sent. We are being ejected. We are being pushed out. It's not about just assembling together as a church body in a little holy huddle. No, we are to go out into the mission field and make disciples of all nations. This great commission here, as a full-time minister of the gospel, you're to be equipped. That's what the church is about. That's what my role as your pastor is about, is equipping you to go and do what it is that God has called you to do, and that is to make disciples wherever you live, work, and play. You are to be a trailer. You are to be that taste of what is to come. That when it comes to heaven, when it comes to the kingdom of God, when it comes to the reign of God, where we're going to live forever, we help make up there come down here for a little bit. That just as Jesus said that we should pray, your kingdom come and your will be done on the earth just as it is in heaven. That's our job. That's our role. That's why you're here. 
That's the entire reason you're on this planet. Not to be a worker, not to be a, a husband or a wife or a family member, a father, a mother. You're not here for any of those things. That is not your primary purpose. Your primary purpose on this planet is to go and make disciples. That's it. Everything else is secondary. Everything that you do, everything that you say, all that you are should be filtered through that thing of, is this helping me to make disciples or not? Again, you need to be that trailer. You need to be a taste of what is yet to come. How are we going to do that? Well, we're going to bless people. We're going to eat with people. We're going to be in tune with the Spirit. We're going to be becoming more and more like Jesus, and we're going to live sin. This is what the gospel is really all about. You know, a lot of times we think that the gospel is simply that, well, Jesus, you know, he died on the cross and he rose from the dead so our sins could be forgiven. That's part of the gospel. But the gospel is so much more. What we're to be sharing and helping people to experience is so much more than just salvation. In fact, that's what I want to share with you here today. Four things that you and I can do as we're sent out into the world. So if you're taking notes, here's the first thing. Number one, I should be announcing and demonstrating reconciliation between God and man and with one another. Again, at the very heart of Christianity is the message that Jesus died so that our sins could be forgiven, so that we could be reconciled with God. Romans chapter 5, verse 11, the Apostle Paul says this, we can rejoice in our relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has reconciled us to Him. Listen, anybody who doesn't currently have a relationship with Jesus is alienated from God. They are an enemy of God. And our job as full-time ministers, as people that are being sent into the world, our job is to help people understand that you can be reconciled to God. You can be made right with God. You can spend eternity with Him forever. We need to let people know that sin is serious, but Jesus offers a solution. So here's what Paul calls us. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20. He says, we are what? We are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And so as a full-time minister of the gospel, you have been called to a ministry of reconciliation. Say that again. As a full-time minister of the gospel, you, 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 you online, you have been called to a ministry of reconciliation. What does it mean for you to be a full-time minister of the gospel of Christ? It means that you are ministering reconciliation. Reconciliation between God and man. How you can be forgiven of your sin. But also, reconciliation between man. That we are to, to come along and we are to, to reconcile all the division that's in this world, whether it's racial division, political division, economic division. Paul writes that when we come into a relationship with Jesus, all those old barriers, all those old walls have gotten broken down and we are now one in Christ. In fact, look at what he says in Galatians chapter 3, verse 28. Faith in Christ Jesus is what makes each of you equal with each other, whether you're a Jew or a Greek, a slave or a free person, a man or a woman. So 
you're a, what, what are you, a full-time? You're an ambassador, and you're a full-time minister of the gospel, and your ministry is what? Reconciliation between God and man and between man himself. Now, how are we going to make this a habit? Because we've been talking about in this series about bells, that we need to make these things habits. So we talked about, all right, you're going to bless three people, you're going to eat with three people. That's an easy habit to, to sort of understand how am I doing with that. We talked about take 20 minutes each week to listen for the voice of the Spirit, 20 minutes each week to get into the Gospels. How do we make it a habit to live sin? Well, here's what I want to encourage you to do. Start the journal. Every single day, at the end of your day, you should take a little bit of time just to write down, how did I do today as a minister of the gospel? Did I bring reconciliation into the world or not? See, if you know at the end of the day you've got to write something down, guess what is going to happen throughout the day? You're going to be thinking about it much more. You're going to be conscious of it. It's going to start to become a habit because you know I've got to write it down at the end of the night. And eventually it won't be because I have to write it down at the end of the night. Eventually it's just who you are. It's what you're doing all the time now. And you're like excited each day to be a minister of reconciliation to the world. And so write down at the end of the day what it is that you did. Did you announce reconciliation? Did you champion it in some way? Did you describe it to somebody? Did you explain it in some way? Did you advocate for it? You know, perhaps you demonstrated reconciliation because you reconciled yourself to somebody. Or maybe you helped to, to bridge the gap between two people that were fighting in some way. Whatever it is, whatever it is, write it down. Because again, the more you write it down, the more you journal, the more you're actually going to live it out. All right, number two then. What's the second part of the gospel? And what is it that we're sent to do as full-time ministers? Well, that is, I must promote God's justice. You got to promote God's justice. Over 200 times in the Old Testament and over 90 times in the New Testament, we read about this word justice. Oftentimes when you hear the word justice, you just think about punishment, that somebody got justice for the wrong that they did. And that's a part of justice. But biblical justice is different than that. It's more than just that. Biblical justice is this. Biblical justice is giving people what they are due. Say that again. Biblical justice is giving people what they are due. Sometimes they're due punishment, but sometimes people are due protection. Sometimes they're due care. And over and over and over again throughout Scripture, we read that we, as full-time ministers of the gospel, we are to take care of the poor, the widow, the orphan, and the foreigner. That's our job. As a full-time minister, we are to take care of the poor, the widow, the orphan, and the foreigner. These four people have often been called the neglected four. These are the people that don't have a voice for themselves. These are the people who don't always get a seat at the table. And it's our job to bring justice for them. Look at Proverbs chapter 31, verse 8. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. Ensure justice for those being crushed. Now, here's where it gets tricky. There is a huge difference between biblical justice and what you hear in the news, which is called social justice. How many of you heard that term in the news before? Social justice, right? You get on Twitter, you're going to find what are called social justice warriors. These are the quote-unquote woke people. 
right? There is too many differences between biblical justice and social justice for me to get into the whole thing right now. But let me just say this. There are some similarities, but here's where biblical justice is different. We as full-time ministers can never promote or advocate for things which are sin. God's word is still God's word. God's word never changes. And so as we promote justice for the poor, the orphan, the widow, and the foreigner, we've got to always make sure that we're using God's word as our guide, not just what Twitter has to say. Right? Not just what the media has to say. What society is saying. We've always got to look to God's word. It is our guide. And so we can't be promoting or endorsing something that's a sin. And let me also say this, no matter how angry you get or how upset you are with an injustice in the world or an unfair system in our society, we cannot fight evil by doing evil ourselves. This is why bombing abortion clinics is wrong. Burning down cities is wrong. Bringing physical violence to people, even people that may be doing sin, us bringing physical violence, that is still wrong. We can't do that. Paul says this in Romans 12, 21. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Again, the things which God says is good are the only things which actually are good. Not what society is saying. Not what social media is saying. We've got to look to God's word. And so I'm fighting for the rights of other people. We can never sin ourselves, nor can we promote sin. But when done right, when biblical justice is done right, people will see you fighting, not literally fighting, but, but standing up for the poor, the widow, the orphan, and the foreigner. And they're going to go, wow, you really care about them, don't you? You're, you're really standing up for them. Why are you doing that? What, what do you have that I, I don't have? Because I don't have that, that type of empathy. I don't have that type of compassion. What is it that's different about you? That's your chance to say, well, it's all because of Jesus. They're going to go, Jesus, what's he have to do with any of this? That's your opportunity to explain that, you know what, justice. Justice is getting what it is that you deserve. And what I deserve for my sin is hell. I deserve eternal punishment for my sin. But because of God's grace, because of his mercy, Jesus made a way that we can be forgiven of our sin. He gave up his body so that I may be forgiven. And so, you know, if Jesus gave up his body for me, I'm going to give my body back in return to him. And I'm going to give my body back in service to others, especially those who have no voice for themselves. And so, you know, today in our society, there's all kinds of ways that you as a full-time minister of the gospel can demonstrate justice to the world. Did you know that Pennsylvania is the fourth highest rated state? And I don't know if that's right to say highest rated, or I should say worst, I guess, when it comes to sex trafficking. Did you know that? Pennsylvania, where we live, right here. Fourth worst state when it comes to sex trafficking. You can provide justice for those who have no voice. Homelessness, major problem. You can do something about that. 
racial divisions in our society is all over the place. You can do something about it. Maybe you're thinking more globally. You know what the number one problem is around the world? It's lack of access to clean drinking water. Something we take for granted, just going to the, the tap or going to the store and being able to buy water and we have it come out of our tap clean. We have it at the store clean. Most of the world doesn't have access to clean drinking water. So maybe God's going to call you to do something about that and be a part of it. Whatever it is, each week in your journal, write down what you have done. Did you donate to a good cause? Did you go and serve at a shelter somewhere? Did you sign a petition? Did you open up your home to a refugee? Whatever it is, keep writing it down. Because again, if you know that, okay, I've got to write each week how I'm promoting justice in this world, it's going to get you to be thinking about justice more and more and more and more. It's going to then get you into the habit of actually doing something. Number three then. What are we supposed to be doing as full-time ministers of the gospel? How do, we, how do we spread the gospel message? Number three, I can create beauty that draws people to God. You're going, wait, 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 wait. What does beauty have to do with evangelism? How many of you in that last song, and those of you that are watching online, the last song that we just did there, So Will I. How many of you, like, you watch that video and, like the hair stands up on the back of your, of your arm, right? You're getting those holy goosebumps, right? And what is, that, what is that video really doing? It's showing nothing but God's creation. In beauty, you are being drawn closer and closer and closer to God. And that is so true. We feel so connected to God when we see images of beauty, when you're outside and you look up at a majestic mountain range, like, wow, God created that. Or you're at the beach and you're up in a high rise and you're looking out over the vastness of the ocean and as far as the eye can see, it's just nothing but water. Like, wow, God did that. Or you're hiking and you, you hear and you see the power of a waterfall. Or it's a clear, still night. You look up into the sky. You start to count the stars. And you realize that you can't count that high. And you begin to, to remember that God measured one end of creation to the other end. Everything from his thumb to his pinky. That's how big our God is. And that same big God who created all that beauty, he created us. And he loves us. And he cares about us. Psalm 19, verse 1. We read this. The heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display his craftsmanship. God is an artist and all this beautiful stuff that he has created helps to remind us of him. And since you and I are supposed to be becoming more and more like God all the time, guess what? We can use beauty. We can use artistry in order to help win people into a relationship with Jesus. 
So look for ways to create beauty all around you, whether it be through music or art or crafts or food. Now, I know some of you are going, Gilbert, I'm not an artist at all. Well, guess what? Take somebody where art is happening. Take them to a concert. Take them to a museum. Take them out on a hike somewhere. Take them to a restaurant where, like, the presentation of the food is a, a big deal and the, the time that they put into the food of the taste, it's a big deal. Help people experience beauty. That's part of your job as a full-time minister. Just help people experience the beauty of creation. And then what are you going to do? Each and every week you're going to, you're going to journal it. You're going to journal, how did I help people this week experience God's creation and God's beauty here on the earth? Here's the last thing that you're going to do as a full-time minister of the gospel, and that is I must do my part to bring wholeness and healing to the world. When John the Baptist heard that his cousin Jesus was out and doing like just miraculous things, John sent some of his own disciples to Jesus. John was in prison at the time, so he couldn't go. He sent some of his disciples to Jesus, and he says, ask Jesus this question. Are you the Christ? Are you the Messiah? Or should we be expecting somebody else? And here was Jesus' reply back. Look at Matthew 11, 2-6. Jesus says, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cured. The deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. Jesus used the miracles that he performed and the parables that he told as basically that trailer, that movie trailer of there's something better that is yet to come. And you and I are to be doing the same thing. We're to be bringing wholeness and healing to the world. Remember, in heaven, there's going to be no more sin, no more sickness, no more disease, no more death. There's not going to be any more handicaps, no more birth defects, no more depression. None of that. It's all going to be gone. Man, God's kingdom, God's reign forever. It's something we all want to be a part of. And again, our job is to bring a little bit of that up there, down here. Again, God, your kingdom come, your will be done on the earth, just as it is in heaven. And so what are you doing to bring wholeness and healing to the world? Because that's part of your job, to bring just a taste of it. Michael Frost, in the book, Surprise the World, which we've been basing this series off of, says this about this topic. Look at your screens there. Of course, many Christians are committed to bringing healing to the lives of others. Doctors, nurses, psychologists, counselors, etc. And I want to encourage these as important expressions of the reign of God. When Christians provide emergency relief to the victims of natural disasters, we are showing them what the reign of God looks like. When we help to repair a broken marriage, we do the same. When a Christian medical practitioner treats a patient with dignity and grace, bringing healing to their body, we clearly see it as mirroring the work of God. But I want to go further and say that more than these practical expressions of healing, we should also be praying for supernatural healing in people's lives. In other words, 
It's great that we help to heal the hurts that people have. But ultimately, the greatest hurt, the greatest thing that needs to be healed is the human heart that has been deceived by sin. And so in the midst of helping people, it should be pointing people to Jesus. So here's what I want to encourage you to do. If you see a need, meet a need. Let me say that again. If you see a need, you, 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 you meet the need. As long as you have the capacity to do it, the capability to do it, you meet the need. Listen to me carefully. You don't need my permission. You don't need the church's permission. If you see a need, meet a need. Just do it. Show people that you matter to God and you matter to me as well. Bring wholeness wherever you can. Again, what you're going to do is you're going to journal it. And why are we journaling it? Because if we know I have to write it down, how I brought wholeness into the world this day, it's going to force you to be looking for places that you can bring wholeness in. And all of a sudden, it's going to start to become a habit that you're doing all the time. And you're going, Gilbert, I'm not so sure about this whole journaling thing. I mean, it seems sort of weird a little bit. Well, let me ask you a question. How many of you wear a fitness tracker on your arm, on your wrist? How many of you have, like, fitness trackers? Like, yep, see? Looks like a watch, but it's a fitness tracker. All right, some of you. What does a fitness tracker do? It tracks what? It tracks your steps. It tracks your sleep. Your, your heart rate, your stress levels, your oxygen, uh, your calories. I mean, it, it, these things have gotten more and more advanced. I mean, it used to be it was just your steps. But now it's like all kinds of things that it's tracking. You know what a fitness tracker actually is? It's a, it's a journal. It's basically a journal. You can look back and go, okay, here's where I was and here's where I've come from. And by wearing this, guess what it does? It helps you to get into some habits. Uh, well, I'm going to see a report on how I've been eating. I'm going to see a report on how many steps I've been taking. So maybe I better eat right. Maybe I better take some steps. It basically is holding you accountable. And so in the same way, you writing in a journal each and every day, all right, here's how I brought reconciliation in the world. Here's how I brought justice into the world. Here's how I brought beauty into the world. Here is uh, how I, I did this uh, final one. What's the final one? I just forgot it. Skipped my mind. What's the fourth one? What's the fourth one? Wholeness. Wholeness. That's what it was. Wholeness. How did I bring wholeness into the world? It's going to force you to start to make it into a habit. It's going to shape the way you begin to think about yourself. As I start to wrap up today, let me share with you one more thing that you can do to start to live sent. Because as a full-time minister of the gospel, you know, you're doing all these things. You're going to bring reconciliation in. You're going to start to bring justice and beauty and wholeness in. But that's a habit that you need to get yourself into. Let me tell you how to put that on steroids, though, and make it a habit almost overnight. And that is to go on a short-term missions trip somewhere. There's something about taking a week where you're away and your whole focus is on just, all right, 
what am I going to do to serve these people who are right here in front of me? That, oh man, that changes you. And I've often said this, when you go on a trip like that, you're not going to change the country that you went to. But what is going to happen is that country is going to change you. Because most of these trips and these you know, places are in the third world countries. And you start to see things, you start to experience things that you're like, oh my goodness, I can't believe that happens here on planet Earth. And all of a sudden you get this realization of how blessed and how fortunate you are as an American. And you start to see really how selfishly we live. Even, even under the, the best circumstances when we're trying not to live selfishly. It's not until you get out there on that mission field that you go, oh, man. The things that I have, the things that I take for granted, the things I complain about. Now, as most of you know, for many years now here at Exponential, we have been partnered greatly with the country of Haiti. And we have a sister church down there. We pay their entire budget for them for the entire year. And we've sent many teams down there through the years to do things. But as I've been sharing with you, Haiti is going through severe political unrest. And it's been happening now for a while. And, and we keep going, hopefully it'll settle down. We'll be able to go back. And I keep saying to people when they're going, when are we going to Haiti next? It's like, well, hopefully next year things will settle down. Well, I've been saying that now for two years. And actually things have now gotten even worse. And so we can't just keep saying, well, Hopefully someday we'll be able to go back because it may be years and years and years and years before we're actually able to send teams back down. We're going to continue to support them financially, but we need to start looking and exploring for, all right, where's, where's somewhere else that we can be going? And so I've arranged with our denomination for us to actually go on a trip that they were already scheduling. They don't have actually many people scheduled yet, but I've arranged for up to 20 people from here at Exponential to go on this particular trip, and it's going to be to Nicaragua July the 7th through the 14th, 2022, coming up. And I want to encourage as many of you as possible to go on this trip. Take a week and go away. Live sent. Live for a full week as a full-time minister of the gospel so that you can really get this habit going in your life. You're going, Gilbert, what are we going to do down there? The answer is, we don't know yet because we don't know who all is going. Depending on who goes, maybe we'll do something medical related. Depending on who goes, maybe we'll do some construction. Depending on who goes, maybe we'll do some sort of outreach event. More than likely, we'll do a combination of all those uh, types of things. But it's really going to depend on how many of you decide to go and who it is and the gifts and the skills, the, the talents, the abilities that God has given you. That's going to determine exactly what it is that we're going to do on this particular trip. So again, put it on your calendar, July the 7th through the 14th. If you need more information, put it on a connection card. Let us know you're interested. You can see us out in the lobby afterwards. Those of you online, you can do it on your connection card, or maybe you just want to put it in the, uh, the chat there that you're interested. We'll get information out to you. Uh, for any of you, you can email me, gilbert at exponential.church. Again, it's gilbert at exponential.church. We'd love, again, for the entire church. I, I would love to actually say, you know what, there's a Sunday that the actual building is closed because we don't have enough people here to actually do something because we're all in Nicaragua. We're having church down there together. That'd be awesome. So if you have the opportunity to do it, please, please, please make that a priority. All right. You and I are never, ever going to live sin unless we start to live questionable lifestyles. Remember, we've been talking about that throughout this series. 
these questionable lifestyles that people look at us and they go, what is so different about you? And you're never going to live a questionable lifestyle unless you start living out these habits. So let's do it one more time. What is Bell's B stands for? Bless. And how many people are going to be blessing each week? Three, right. One person from here at Exponential. One person from the community that's not yet a follower of Jesus. And then just one random person. E stands for? Eat. How many people are you going to eat with each week? Three people, one of which is not yet a follower of Jesus. L stands for listen and learn. We're going to listen for who? We're going to listen for the voice of the Holy Spirit. Who is it that you'd have me to be blessing? Who is it that you'd have me be eating with? We're going to listen for the voice of the Spirit. Is there any sin in me that is a bad witness that's keeping people from coming to you because of my lifestyle? Then we're going to learn. We're going to learn about Jesus by reading the Gospels. At least 20 minutes each and every week. Because the more we read about him, the more we're going to become like him. And then S today stood for sent. We are sent as full-time ministers of the gospel. That means you are a missionary. You are a missionary in your neighborhood, at your gym, in your school. Everywhere you go, every step that you take, you are a full-time missionary, a full-time minister of the gospel. And what are you going to do? You're going to bring four different things. You're going to bring reconciliation. You're going to bring justice, beauty, and wholeness. Go do it. Again, you don't need my permission. You don't need the church's permission. Just go be a minister for Jesus. Let's live sin. Let's live on mission. Let's give people a taste of what? is yet to come. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity to come together throughout these last four weeks to look at how we can all be a part of this evangelism process. That yes, not everybody has the spiritual gift of evangelism, but we are all called to be a part of that process. And so, Lord, help us to take these things that we've learned over these past four weeks and actually make them habits. Help it not to be just something that we're here as the word. Help us to actually be doers of the word. Get these habits down to the point then that people start to look at us and go, wow, you are so different than everybody else that I know. What makes you different? As both Peter and Paul said, it's at that moment then that we need to be ready to give an answer for the hope that we have inside of us. And Lord, in those moments, whether it's verbally or through further demonstration of our lives, help us to just be clear in those moments. Help us to not have any sin in our lives that, that, that keep people from you. Help us to live pure and holy lives that are attractive and are drawing in people to your kingdom. Jesus, once again, we want to thank you so much because you reconciled us back to the Father. None of us deserve all the goodness and the, the, the glory of eternal life with you. But yet you loved us enough to come and die for us so that we could have that. So thank you so much for that. And so since you gave your body for us, help us now to give our bodies back to you as full-time ministers of the gospel of Christ to go out into Harrisburg and Hagerstown 
and throughout the state of Pennsylvania and Maryland and all the other states in this nation and all around the world to Haiti and Nicaragua and others and show people that you matter to God and you matter to all of us as well. Thank you again, Jesus. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen.